Hi, fam. So I am just jumping on here during my editing for a little correction. Um, I realized that for all of our previous episode and for a majority of this episode, I called Justin Steven. Um, <laughs> Justin, I am so sorry for all of that. Uh, Anytime that you hear me talking about Stephen, I am referring to Justin, our wonderful and intelligent and talented author of our Soapboxy article. Um, so let me just apologize for that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what my brain did there, but um, it's definitely Justin. All right, <laughs> carry on. This is but one of a thousand true crimes. Hey everyone, welcome back to a thousand true crimes. I'm Chelsea and over here chugging her wine is Joe. <laughs> hey everyone. Um, how are you doing, girl? Good? Yeah, man, this week, this is another week is kicking my ass. Like, I anticipated, mm-hmm. you know, the holidays being rough. I did not yeah. anticipate them being this rough. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But it's the first holiday season, and then, like you said, it just gets more. Um, if these people are out here lying to me, I don't really know. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's tolerable. And the girls, for some reason, like are super like questions about Jeremy and they want to see pictures of him. And like, uh, it's just so rough. Matt's the other day. She was like, have you gotten used to Jeremy not being around? And I was like, no. Oh my and then Eliza like gets teary eyed. She's that's like, not "What we ask people? Can we change that?" Well, they're allowed to ask me that. Like, I'm not just some random stranger, you know. Like, I'm like their confidant. I'm their nanny, um. So they're allowed to ask me that, and they have relationship with him too. Like they did. He took them skateboarding. He would like hold mm-hmm. Eliza on the skateboard and skate with her because she wanted to go really fast. So like, I feel like they're entitled to ask questions. And I was just like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I know. I know. Exactly. Like fucking rude. But anyways, I mean, we're, we're getting through it. We're getting through it. We've got like a doozy of a case ahead of us. Surprise you guys. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to actually start kicking off the new format where Joe does a case and then I do a case. Um, just cause my life is always a mess and I can't even take a shower. So half the time, um, welcome to toddlerhood. It's the worst. Don't let anybody tell you different. <laughs> you look cute. Thank you. I'm wearing an Amazon shirt. Okay. But I love that shirt actually. Like legit. That hasn't been washed. Yeah. And I haven't washed my hair in like five days. I just washed my hair today, but before that, I hadn't washed it for like five days. There you go. Well, thank you. I'll take the compliment. Yeah. I think you look cute. I love that top. Makes your uh, boobs look good. Thanks. All right. That's my goal in life. I know. I figured. I figured. 
(laughs) (laughs) I figured that was the plan the whole time. Um, Oh, yeah, the plan the whole time. So yeah. So before we jump into the case, um, I'll just do a little bit of housekeeping. If you guys like what you're hearing and you want to support us, we would love a um, a like, a follow, a subscribe, whatever your platform has. If you listen on Apple Podcast, a, a review or a rating goes a long way to boost us up the charts um, and get us more views, which we would love. And then if you are interested in kind of seeing a little bit behind the scenes or just talking to people about cases or giving us recommendations or anything like that, you can come find us on Facebook at A Thousand True Crimes Podcast Discussion Group, or you can find us on Instagram at A Thousand True Crimes Pod, and that's one zero zero zero. It's the numerals. It's not spelled out. And because, so we are doing the case of Darlie Routier. Um, and so we're also going to prep you guys. This is going to be a two-parter. So this is a long case. There's a lot that's going on. Um, if anyone's familiar with this case, they'll know that she actually does have another appeal coming up here soon. I think she was supposed to have it back in, it was either 2019 or 2020, but like either way, COVID kind of slowed up the whole process. So, um, when I started doing research for this, I looked for this documentary that I watched that was on, it was a 2020, like a five-part series Mm -hmm. or two-part series or something like that. I don't know where they talked about the case, um, it's gone. Yeah. Oh, oh. A lot of them are gone. Yeah. Because it's, I feel like it's got to have oh, something to do with the case. because information's coming out? I guess so. I guess so. So I actually got all my They're like backtracking on what they thought it was. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. And they're like, oh, we better, we better get rid of that real quick. Somebody, or or maybe like the prosecution was like, you need to pull that. Or maybe the defense was like, I, like, I don't know, but somebody pulled it for sure. Um, so I found a couple snippets of it on YouTube, but that was all that I could find. So instead mm-hmm. of doing that, I, instead of going off of like a, a, a show that we could watch, I am going to be using an article from the website Soapboxy, um, called Darlie Routier wrongfully convicted of murdering her children. Um, this was written by Justin Case. 976. Cute, Justin. Um, And he wrote this article. And when I went through and started fact-checking it, everything was accurate. So I feel comfortable using this as my source. Um, I did fact-check a lot of the information to make sure that everything in it was accurate. So he did a really great job of just kind of like laying all the information out, laying out the incident, laying out the evidence, laying out the trial, the issues therein. And so I'm just going to kind of follow along the format of his article. I will be quoting him a lot, but again, he deserves all the credit for the um, research, all the credit for the general voice of all of this. I'm just going to try and spark note it for you guys so you guys can maybe um, get on board with this like free Darlie movement. Like, I don't think she should be in prison. I really don't. Um, and hopefully you guys will think that too. I have never heard of this case, so I'm, I don't know. That makes me excited because we'll see what you think at the end. I don't know. I've never. Okay. Well, tell me. All right. Here we go. So at around 2.30 in the morning of June 6th, 1996, a Rowlett family's life in Texas would be forever changed. That evening, mother and homemaker Darlie had decided to sleep downstairs on the couch with her two young boys, Devin and Damon, who had requested a camp out on the floor because school was out that day. 
Their father and the couple's seven-month-old slept upstairs in the couple's bedroom. Darley awoke to the horrific reality that both she and her sons had been attacked. Her sons would die before making it to the hospital, and Darley barely survived bleeding out in the ambulance. Darley was arrested 12 days later on June 18, 1996. She was tried for the murder of her youngest son, five-year-old Damon, found guilty and sentenced to death on February 4, 1997. 25 years later, Darlie Routier still maintains that she is innocent and that someone broke into the home and attacked her and her children. So that's the incident. Okay. So. Was the five-month-old attacked or no? no. Just her and her son? Yeah. Her two sons. Yeah. Her and her two sons that were sleeping downstairs. Her and two sons. Okay. okay. So I'm going to give you a super quick background into this family. It's going to go really fast. I don't think, I don't think it's. Okay. Wait, wait, Sorry. Because you're kind of breaking up a little bit. Only one died. One of the okay. sons died. Or both died. No, they both died. Yeah. Um, in the attack. And she nearly died. Okay. Okay. So, Darlie was a fun-loving, natural beauty. Um, Darren knew her mom at a restaurant that the two of them worked with. And he actually said to her mom, you know, I heard you had a very beautiful daughter. And the mom said, yeah, I do. And then the daughter walks in. And for Darren, it was love at first sight. It didn't take long before he and Darlie mm -hmm. got married and moved to Texas. Um, her mom thinks that she got pregnant on her honeymoon because their oldest son came along about nine months after they got married. Um, Sounds like a honeymoon baby. Yeah. <laughs> so they moved to Dallas and opened a company that made uh, circuit boards. Because of this business, they came into money. So they bought a new house, new mm -hmm. cars. It was like really nice. Um, and they were kind of enjoying the American dream. You know, these two kids built a business together, built a life together, had these wonderful children. She was like famous for being the fun house, like just being a super fun loving mother. Um, and everything was great until this evening on in 1996. Um, so I'm gonna give you guys a little bit more of an in-depth version of Darlie's story of what happened that night. So like I said, because school was out, the boys wanted to camp in the family room and Darlie agreed to sleep downstairs with them while Darren slept upstairs with their seven-month-old. She says that she woke up to Damon pressing on her shoulder saying, Mommy. She says that she sat straight up, saw a man starting to walk away from her towards the kitchen. She heard the sound of glass breaking and followed the man in the direction he was headed, found a knife on the floor near the back door picked up the knife, put it on the counter, and then she doubled back and turned the, turned the lights on and screamed unrelentlessly or unrelentingly for her husband. Because at that point, she says that she saw that there was blood everywhere. And um, Okay, so the man had already walked out of the house at that point. Right. From the first okay. telling of her story. Right. Okay. So um, Darren ran downstairs She's just screaming. I did see a clip on YouTube of the interview where he was like, she just looked like he was terrified just by the way she was acting. Like he was like, something's fucking mm -hmm. wrong. Um, and they make the 911. She calls 911, begging them for assistance. Please help. Her husband's trying to do CPR on Devin. Apparently when he breathed in oxygen, like it just came out of the holes in his chest. Um, 
And I'm going to take this time because I think this is important. I want you to go ahead and click on that link that I sent you, the 911 call. And I just want you to listen to it. Oh, the 911 call. That's Andrew's. Okay. And you can turn the Lonnie. Knock it off. My dog is like going insane because baby's obsessed with bows right now, like Christmas bows that you put on wrappings. And she's like just tearing them apart. And are you kidding me? She just like flipped over the couch cushion. <laughs> Knock it off. Entitled is what these creatures are. Entitled. Entitled. I'm going to send you to a pound. Knock it off. Just for a quick dose of reality. So. Okay. So. I want you to go ahead and listen. We're just going to listen for a couple minutes because I think that it's important that you hear how this sounds. Uh, what is your frantic as fuck i know okay i was gonna ask what's your initial reaction to hearing that phone call as a mom i mean i would believe i mean she's definitely frantic she sounds like she's a wreck she sounds like she's a wreck but like i'm not gonna lie like my mommy instincts didn't pop up like oh shit like her kids are like well, as somebody who got a phone call from the police telling them that there was a family member dead, it sounded real familiar to me. When I listened to it, I was triggered. I was like, my God. Well, I bet. I mean, I haven't like ever had to, like, I've never had a place in 911 call like that. God willing, I never have to. But she sounds. I've never received a she's call. Not no, she, I'm terrified, not saying that, Joe. I'm, right? She sounds, no, she sounds extremely frantic. Yeah. Like, she doesn't, she sounds completely like. I'm playing devil's advocate advocate this whole time until the very end. So let's find. Just bear with me. Um, but no, she definitely does sound like frantic. Like she's not calm. She's not explaining what's going on. Like you can't really understand what she's saying. Like all I heard was my babies are dying and stabbing. Like those are a lot of the words that I can make out. And ma'am, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. So. So. And that's like just the first minute. Yeah, it's it goes on for a while, and we'll actually do some in depth breakdown of the nine one one call. But I just want I just wanted everyone to hear a little bit of that. So yeah. So as I said before, Darren starts doing CPR on Devin, and the air just comes out of the holes in his body. So mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I think they both kind of understood pretty quickly that he was dead. Um, and then Damon, uh, who was still moaning and making noise, we hear her on the phone telling him, hold on, baby, hold on. And he says, okay, mommy. And those were the last words that he ever said. Um, and he's the one that woke her up. Damon, yes. Okay. So uh, when ambulances arrived, Darlie and Damon were taken to the hospital immediately. Um, Damon was pronounced dead on arrival. 
and Devin had already died from his injuries at the home. Mm, poor babies. So that's the situation. So we're going to talk, we're going to, we're going to jump right in. Okay. So we already know that this woman's been convicted of these murders or she was actually only convicted of, um, Damon's murder. He was the older, older one. Or was it Devin? Devin. He, she had already been convicted. No, no. Yeah. It was Damon. She had already been convicted of Damon's murder. The prosecution didn't charge her for Devin's murder because, um, okay. there was, they said for two reasons, one, because of Damon's like young age it qualified her for the death penalty but also they were like well if we didn't get the the conviction with damon we would have devon's trial to try again um yeah but isn't devon like seven that's not young enough for death penalty i guess not i mean this is texas i don't know i don't know texas laws very well okay i don't know i feel like seven's pretty damn young i don't know i don't know (laughs) That's above my pay grade. Isn't that like second grade? <laughs> well, and this is kind of leans to a trend that you're you're going to see throughout all of this where the prosecution really like they had a they knew what they were looking for and they built the case okay. to make it look like that. Kind of despite the evidence. Okay. And I do think that it's important um which I was getting ready to mention so I'll just go ahead thank you for the segue is that um a year before this Susan Smith had been convicted. Do you remember who that is? She's the one with the, she had her cars, her her cars, Jesus, her kids in the backseat of the car Mm -hmm. and put it in the lake, the river or something like that. She drove it into a lake, right. So a year prior, that's what happened. And she told everyone that like some black dude had taken a car and driven off with her kids. Oh my gosh. She led everyone on like, I don't know, I think it was like, a nine day hunt for these kids for sh- before ultimately confessing and being convicted. So okay. I think that's important for us to also realize, cause this is in the zeitgeist of America. Cause it was a, a, it was huge all over the media. Like everyone was involved. Everyone was like sending their pr- thoughts and prayers. And then it turned out she was the one who killed him in, in the end mm-hmm. anyways. So I think it's important. So people are pissed. I think, yeah, I think this is an important thing to keep in mind because what I am hoping that you guys will see is the same thing that a lot of us have seen, and that is that the prosecution wanted her to be the culprit. Um, and they twisted and contrived a lot of things to make it look like that was the case, to make the evidence look like that was the case. So we're going to jump right into that. Why it looked bad. Um so the lead prosecutors, Greg Davis and Toby Shook, believed that the crime scene was staged and that Darlie inflicted her injuries upon herself. Now I want you to click that second link where it says her injuries. I want you to look at those pictures. We'll go into them, but I just want you to have them pulled up so you can see what they look like. I'm just, I just got a neck. But she's, okay, okay, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Yeah, withhold judgment you... right now. Um. Uh, Okay, so these were the things. Nasty. Is that a bruise? Yeah, all the way up her arm, yeah. That's a a nasty-ass bruise. Yeah. So we'll go. eyebrows, man. Hello, 1995. We'll go into the injuries um, a little bit later. But I'm going to list you guys. These are the things that the prosecution claimed were the reason that they believe that she staged the scene, hurt herself, and killed her kids. Um... The murder weapon came from the house. 
No valuables were taken. Blood splatter analysis was inconsistent with Darley's version of events. Drops of blood from the boys consistent with cast off from the blade were found on the back of Darley's nightshirt. A large amount of blood was found in the front of the sink, indicating she stood there bleeding for some time. Fibers believed to be from a sliced screen were discovered adhering to a bread knife in the kitchen. A diary entry from May 3rd indicated that Darley was contemplating suicide. The routiers had seen a significant drop in income from the previous year and had credit card debt, were a month behind in their mortgage, and owed back taxes to the IRS. Darren had applied and been turned down for a $5,000 loan on June 1st. And a videotape of a grade side birthday celebration for Darlie's son depicted a smiling Darlie chewing gum and spraying silly string while singing happy birthday. Which to me, like, like, okay. Okay. Yeah, I know. Okay. More- Can I just say two things? Yeah. No. no. I told you I'm playing devil's advocate this whole time. One. So in her first testimony of what happened of the night she said that her youngest son woke her up and she saw a man those injuries that i just saw her ass would have been woken up because she was attacked so like okay i guess she could have been knocked unconscious and then woke up and can't remember possibly okay just had to talk that out loud i'm nodding sorry i'm nodding Okay, because not could a visual medium. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Okay, um, and then the video of her at the gravesite of her babies, and it was celebrating their birthdays. You cannot put that on like they, just because you're showing one portion. I'm sure they only showed that one section of that video. And not the rest of the video where she could have been crying or being mourning and everything. But she did something in celebration of the life of her children and celebrating them and probably doing something that they enjoyed doing. Yep. Which is probably like five and seven silly string. Hello. Yep. Okay. Okay. I had to talk around the first one because I was like, those injuries are pretty intense. I feel like you would, if your five-year-old could wake you up, like that's going to definitely wake you up. And then as I said, I was like, oh, I guess you could be knocked unconscious. Okay. 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 Continue. All right. So we're going to start with the wounds. So Darlie had a stab in her right arm that was like here that went through to Mm -hmm. her bone. And that's real intense to do that to yourself. And she is right-handed. So she would have done that with her non-dominant hand. Okay. That'd be, I can't, okay. Which also, if you are fighting off somebody who has a knife and you raise you your dominant hand, to if fight. you raise your arm up to protect your face, this kind of a wound is consistent with someone stabbing at you. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know you guys can't see me, but you know, raise your right arm to your face. Right halfway, kind of, or just a little bit above your elbow. That's where she has the stab wound that goes to her bone. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's one of her injuries. Then she has this gash across her neck. This gash came within two millimeters of her carotid artery. Two millimeters. Two millimeters in, Dang. she would have died. 
And she's not, she doesn't have any like medical background, correct? No. Okay. Additionally, her arm is bruised from her wrist to her armpit. And you saw the pictures of the bruising. I encourage all of you to look. It is intense bruising. Yeah. Yeah, I said it was a nasty ass bruise. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at her hands, you can see they are also covered in bruises as though she was fighting somebody for some reason. Did she have any head injuries? No. Like concussion or did they just not test it? No, she didn't have any head injuries. Um, she also had some okay. cuts across her fingertips as mm-hmm. though she had grabbed a weapon. Um, mm-hmm. And then she had a few other small abrasions. So immediately, the to me, I don't know, to me, when I hear somebody saying she did this to herself, I'm like, no fucking way. Like, no, no, <laughs> she did not do this to herself. Yeah. These I are mean, it's defensive it's wounds. Wounds, yeah. Yeah, and if she doesn't have, first off, to cut, like, to slice your neck and to be that close, I feel like if you don't have any medical history, like, you're not, like, a nurse or a doctor or whatever, like, how are you going to know, like, okay, that's deep enough. Right, exactly, exactly. to me, I'm like, a nick on my neck is deep enough. Exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Like, how would she have known? that's deep enough. She was, if she had done that to herself, she would have been so close to killing herself, which... Like, if you were going to kill yourself, you would probably make sure the job was done. You wouldn't call 911. Like, I, it's just. Especially if. You just you killed your kids or trying, something. Yeah. You, you know? You just killed like, your kids. You wouldn't be calling 911. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't make. That, none of none of the evidence that the prosecution presents about how she injured herself, to me, pans out. Because you could just look at the injuries. Like, like no. Their argument is, like, she cut herself in the neck and she did that on purpose. And I'm like, how the fuck? I don't. I don't know. Like, like who knows just willy nilly, yeah. like, okay, I'm just going to cut this deep and then I'm not going to like bleed out deep enough. Right. No, yeah. that just, it seems like total bullshit to me. So I feel like her injuries like prove that she was fighting somebody with a knife. Um, so then we're going to talk about how her accounts differed. Right. So this was another okay. issue. Um, that the prosecution said, they were like, well, your story keeps changing. Your story keeps changing. Like you're not consistent, which actually now we know if your story is too similar, we know that that means that you're probably lying because if you experienced it in real time, it's going to differ a little bit each time you tell the the story. The main, the core of the story is going to stay the same. Like the main events are going to stay the same, but your little, your little tiny details are not going to stay the same. Exactly. So in the first account, she woke up to see a man standing um, at the couch and walking away towards the kitchen. In another story, she woke up by Damon waking her up on her shoulder. In another account, she woke up to the sound of breaking glass. In another account, she fought with the intruder. In another account, she has no memory of fighting with him. But the reality of, I mean, okay, so your children are getting stabbed. You're awake. Like, you're not asleep when that's happening. No, and if you're going to have those injuries, that's what I'm saying. That's why, as soon as I said, I was like, I guess if you've been knocked unconscious and then you wake up and you were knocked unconscious so hard that you don't have that memory. And if they've never, if they never did like a CAT scan to see if she has a concussion. Which who knows in 96 if they're even thinking about stuff like that. 
Oh, I don't know. You know, like they might not even Probably thought to not. do a scan. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, you're not bleeding from the head, so we don't need to. I don't know. Um, because like, that was my first thing. I was like, Joe, like, there's no way with those injuries that she was just gonna, all of a sudden her five-year-old son's gonna tap her on the shoulder and she's gonna be like, what's going on? Right. Like, okay. But if, if she's been knocked unconscious or hit in the head too hard or. I don't know. I feel like well, maybe you could even black it out. You're so traumatized. Let me, yeah. Let me, let me tell you what's, what Steven did. Uh, our, uh, our, our, our author here, the person who I'm, I'm going to quote him because he, okay. he did the research. So recent research, this is all quoted from him. Recent research has shown that short-term stress can damage the brain, taking minutes, not months to impact neurons responsible for learning and memory. Scientists at the university of California, Irvine found that acute stress activates selective molecules called corticotropin releasing hormones like cortisol these hormones disrupt the process by which the brain collects and stores memories it's not unlike being injured and knocked out during a car accident when you wake up you may know intellectually what happened but have no memory of the crash itself you might believe you remember the screech of the brakes the smell of burnt rubber the smashing of metal upon metal the windshield shattering when in reality this memory does not exist at all. It's simply the brain's powerful way of attempting to align known facts with what you believe must have happened. Everything Darlie relayed to the police, to her family, and to everything else were most likely disjointed pieces of memories put together to the best of her ability. Did she struggle with her intruder? I mean, obviously she did. Look at her. Like, she obviously yeah. struggled yeah. with somebody. And if she was laying on the couch and a man with a knife, like, came on top of her, the wounds are all where they should, are supposed to be for a woman trying to protect herself in such an incident. Yeah. Um, there are people who say that she got the bruises because of Devin kicking her while she was stabbing him, um, since he did show a couple signs of defensive injuries. But considering how tiny his body was and how his attack was quick, like, he was, like, stab, stab, stabbed, and, like, like he was not done. Um, okay. But those bruises didn't that's look not, like uh -uh. bruises. That you and I have both been yeah. kicked many a time by a child and it has resulted in a bruise. It does not look like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I still have like, again, two-year-olds. They're so great. I still have like scars from like my son, like scratching me. Yeah. And like, you can see the little fingernails, like, you, they're shapes, they're strong enough, but they're not that damn strong to cause a that much bruising arm yeah. to bruise it. And it's black. Bruise. Like, it's black. It is black. So, no. Her only being able to relate bits and pieces of what happened, while, while, like you said, the consistency of the story is intact, mm -hmm. it's not that abnormal. In fact, it's almost like proof that, yes, she did undergo this trauma and is doing her best to remember what happened. Um, but the prosecutors didn't say it that way. They're like, oh, look, she's switching up her story. She did it. She's guilty. She killed her kids. Um, they also, and this comes up mostly in trial, she would interchange he and they. Like sometimes they'd be like, he did this or they did this. Um, which again, I mean, further kind of demonstrates that this was multiple people were involved in this attack. It mm -hmm. wasn't just a man. Mm -hmm. So we're going to kind of move along in the timeline. We are going to jump back to the 911 call, but we're going to move forward a little bit further in the timeline because, again, I'm following Stephen's outline. 
um, because he is smarter than me and does better research. So Stephen addresses the issue that I actually didn't even know existed until I started doing the research on this case. And that is there were outright lies told by the first officer on the scene, Officer David Waddell. Um, Waddell testified. Oh, God. I know. Waddell testified that when he first pulled up to a house, he saw a man coming out of the front door into the yard. Waddell stated that he approached the man with his gun drawn and that in his, so in his testimony, he claims that this man was Darren, the father. Okay. So he says that he approached the man with his gun drawn and asked the man to identify himself. This did not happen factually. I bet like Darren, the husband's like, bitch, that did not like. Well, and I will say, and I think this is important. Darren has stood by his wife all of these 20 some odd years. He has said she did not do this. So I, I think that is very important. Yeah. He has stood by her this whole time trying to get her proven innocent. Um, so I'm going to break down why this, this is highly unlikely that when Waddell got to the house, he saw Darren at all when he arrived. So if you listen to the 911 call at three minutes and 29 seconds, Darlie asked Darren if the children are dead. His reply cannot be heard. He, uh, I'm quoting Stephen again. He may have answered non-verbally with a nod or something, but he's in the room with Darlie when she asked this question. It can be reasonably assumed that his reply is affirmative since she immediately becomes more hysterical and screams, oh my God, oh my God. Keep in mind that Darlie is on the phone with 911 and Darren is attempting to perform CPR on Devin who is not breathing. The CPR is taking place in the Roman room, which is like the family room. And if you want to pull up the maps mm-hmm. to just look at the, the blueprint of the house, you totally can. Um and at exactly 3.41 into the call, Waddell enters the home. So you have to remember, at 3 minutes and 29 seconds, so 3.29, that's when Darlie asked Darren mm-hmm. if the children are dead. And somehow he replies to her, which means he is in the room with her. And then at 3.41, yeah. we hear the front door open. So that's 11, uh, 12 seconds later. You hear the door open, and that's when Waddell walks in. So how is it possible that Darren could make it all the way from the living room to the front door, into the yard, speak to Waddell, get out of the police car, walk up to him, ask him to identify himself, and then come back in in the span of 12 seconds? How is that possible? It's not possible. It's not. Mm-mm. So... There is an argument that Waddell's testimony can be backed up by an eyewitness because there was an eyewitness. Jeez, I'm looking at the maps right now and all I see is dots or X's and dots and it says Damon is red, Darlie is green, and Devin is yellow. And then underneath it says this DNA blood map was used. I can't read the rest. You're going to need that. shit, Damon's blood is everywhere. You're going to need that later. So... Keep an eye on that one. Okay, sorry. Just jumping ahead no, of the story. No, it's fine. Lord. It was a bloody fucking scene. All right, so bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. Okay. So there's an argument that Waddell's testimony is backed up by the eyewitness testimony of their neighbor who lived across the street from them, and his name is Bill Gorsh. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. But let me explain to you why this is easy to disprove. Okay, so Bill Gorsh. He worked nights, and so he got home between 1.50 and 2 in the morning. 
Um, so he claims that he was woken up twice that evening, once shortly after he'd gone to sleep, but he didn't hear anything else. So he kind of drifted off to sleep again. And then one more time at 2:40 AM by Darren yelling, someone just stabbed my wife and kids. He testified that he saw Darren and the officer together in the yard and saw them going into the house together. But he didn't mention that he had seen the officer get out of the car. So I'm going to quote Stephen again. What this proves is that when he saw Darren and Waddell go into the house, it was several minutes after Waddell first arrived. Darley's 911 call came in at 2.31 a.m. You hear Waddell come into the house three minutes and 41 seconds after the call. So that puts you at uh, 2.34, almost 35, meaning he was inside by 2.34. It's known that Darren did go outside to get help from Karen Neal, who is a neighbor, another neighbor across the street who happened to be a nurse. And that is when Gorsh saw Darren. And this is also according to Darren's testimony outside at 2.40. They were going outside to try to get Karen to come in. Because at some point in the 911 call, Darlie had tried to scream for Karen outside, which was probably the first noise that he heard um, this neighbor. Mm. But the second time when he saw him with the cop, it was that second time when Darren had gone out with the, the uh, with Waddell to try and get this neighbor who was a nurse to come back in. Um, meaning, if Waddell did see a man outside of their house when he first arrived, it was, the fucking killer. It was not Darren. So we have to ask ourselves, why would he lie about this? Um, because if, if he did see someone outside, it was probably killer. Um, and like, what, so what happened? Like he has his gun drawn and he's like, who are you? Identify yourself. Like, who knows what this person could have said to him? Like this person could have been like, there's two fucking kids inside dying. Or like my kids are inside dying. Or like he could have said anything to redirect that officer's mm -hmm. attention to the fact that there were children that were stabbed inside that needed help so that he can walk into the home. And this gives, provides this person an opportunity to walk away, which he does. And then this guy walks into the house. He has two hysterical parents screaming. Blood is fucking everywhere. Children are bleeding out. There's a woman with blood dripping from her neck. Like as an off, as a, he might've been a, an experienced police officer, but he was, he was also a parent. And so if he, in that moment, just kind of like froze for a second to be like, all right, what the fuck do I need to do here? A, that's fine. You're allowed to do that. Get your tits, take a minute, pull it together so you can like go into action. But it's also real realistic that he might not remember everything exactly right. I mean, his brain was going through trauma too. He literally is looking mm -hmm. at two little boys stabbed to death. I was going to say, do you think he felt guilty? Like, like it, he might've realized, oh shit, I could have possibly let that person go. I like the way you And think. he's like, I'm Okay. So, Does it come back up later? Yeah, we're going to get to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he testifies that uh, also he was trying to tell Darlie to get towels. So this just kind of adds the evidence that, like, he's not remembering everything exactly right either, as is totally but, like, valid. That he was telling Darlie to get towels, but we can't hear this on the 911. We can hear her talking with him, but, like, none of that is about towels. Um, the whole time she and her husband were alone in the house with Waddell. She was on the phone with 911 because as it turns out, okay. Waddell was not the officer dispatched. He was just an officer who was in the area who was responding. So mm -hmm. dispatch did not know that he was on the scene. And so they were insisting that they stay on the phone with Darlie until an officer arrived on the scene. 
because he didn't like take the time to alert dispatch that he had arrived, which I don't know as far as protocol, as far as I'm concerned, if, if my child is bleeding out on the floor, please don't take the time to tell dispatch, please just come in my house and help me. So like, I'm not going to hold him accountable for that. Like you come in and you handle me. I'm pretty sure like, and it might be different. That was the nineties. Like things are so different in the nineties, but I'm pretty sure now, like the police have to like let dispatch know. In theory, like, he was also supposed yeah. to then, but he did it. And so dispatch did not know that there yeah, was an officer. Yeah, which, like, it's the cool. Like, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. It's, and, and theoretically, he saw a That's dude. That's not what I'm going to fault you for. In theory, he saw a dude running out of the house. Right? So, like, he's not going to take the time to be like, dispatch, I'm here. He's going to jump up and see who the fuck that is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not You know, like, yeah. So, like, I get it. Yeah. So... Like I said, he claimed that he was telling Darlie to get towels. That didn't happen. He also claims that Darlie described to him a struggle or a fight with the intruder by the kitchen kitchen bar area. That was also a conversation that never happened. And then, like, then it came time for him to, like, say his testimony in court. And he said, I thought if she was worried about fingerprints on a knife, and we're going to get to that also, just bear with me, she could certainly take care of her kids. Which, like, what a fucking rude-ass thing to say in court. Like... There was a point in the 911 call, because remember how I told you she picked the knife up off the floor? Mm-hmm. She was worried, or she says at one point in the 911 call, oh, I guess we could have gotten fingerprints off of that or something. And people have latched onto that. And we'll go again, we'll dig deep. We're going to take this issue by issue, and we'll dig deep into that issue uh, in a little bit. Um, so his comment, I thought if she was worried about fingerprints on the knife, she could certainly take care of her kids. It's just when he says take care of his her like kids, what does that like, even mean? Like no, he means like tend to the kids, like tend to their okay. wounds and whatnot. So, but like I'm not gonna lie, if I like got attacked and like my son got attacked, I would be like no one's fucking coming into this room right now. No one touch a goddamn thing. Like. This is all evidence. Because you and I are true so, like, crime people. I get people. what she's saying. She's not a true crime she's person. She's being smart. <laughs> but you don't know. She knows fingerprints. She could be like, well, yo, don't no, no, wait, 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 wait. want to get fingerprints. Wait, wait, wait. We'll get to that. Wait, 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 wait. It's, it's shady. Okay. It's shady. Um. Oh, oh, this is shady on her part? No. No. It's all the prosecution that looks shady as fuck. That's what I am saying is that, like, I get where she's like, Oh shit, we could have gotten fingerprints on that, but I touched it. I know, but you're I get what she's saying. She's just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Okay. 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 Then we have to think, why would he lie? Now, as you and I have already speculated, if he did in fact see someone running out of the house, he probably saw one of the murderers. The Rowlett PD was under a shit ton of pressure to solve this case and solve it quickly. It had a lot of media attention. It was a sleepy town, you know, like they had a lot of pressure to get it done. Um, there were millions of dollars worth of investments and development tied up in this desirable, crime-free community. So they couldn't have an unsolved double homicide of two young children and the general public panicking about a lunatic on the loose. What is interesting is Waddell was transferred out of Rolla County shortly after the murders, and he was with the Plano PD when he came back several months later to testify in the trial. I'm going to quote Stephen again. Could it be that his superiors strongly encouraged him to tweak his testimony to support the department department's need to portray Darlie as a killer? 
Perhaps he was offered the choice, stick to the script and receive a nice transfer and promotion, or tell the truth and stand in a line at the unemployment office. Yeah. Oh, did they ever, so they said the reason why he was transferred was for a promotion? Mm-hmm. Mm. Was he up for a promotion beforehand? This I don't know. Okay. This I don't know. Okay. 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 So that's one part of the issue. We're going to go into. Okay. But also like, okay. Because yeah. like, I know this, this episode's long, so I'm just going to make this like my little. No, go ahead. Two cents. Is that one, I understand when these horrible cases, like all crime is horrible, but when like children are involved and murders and everything and the high pressure profile cases come up and they're like, we need to solve this ASAP. So the police for that pressure, like, I feel like that needs to change on our end because yes, girl. I would much rather wait yep. and have them be like, no, we actually found the person. And because now we don't have to put a pen on somebody so that we can just make the public happy. Yep. Yep. Second off, if you know that somebody could do this, like there are lunatics out or murderers or whatever, wouldn't you want to try to find those people so it doesn't possibly happen again? One would think, Chelsea. One would think. Like, to me, I'd be like, ooh, I'm not going to try to pin this on somebody that we can tell possibly could have not done it. But we're going to try to, like, actually figure this out because I'm not trying to, like. Let's find the fucking six, killer. Yeah. Let's find yeah, that person. Yeah, okay. 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 Yeah. yeah. So next we're going to talk about the unidentified fingerprint left in wet blood. So in the house. Wait, when was that even brought? Oh, you haven't brought that up at all. Nope. Right? Nope. First time bringing it up. Okay. Okay. I was like, where? So when they <laughs> where were, no, no. When they were examining the crime scene, there was a fingerprint of blood found on a glass coffee table behind one of the sofas. And if you look in the picture, you'll see it's that one that's like behind mm -hmm. the couch. Um, mm -hmm. This fingerprint did not match a single person in the house. It did not belong to any of the routiers, nor did it match any of the police officers okay. or paramedic paramedics who were all printed to rule them out. Now, Damon's fingerprints were not taken prior to his burial. He hadn't started kindergarten yet, so there were no prints of his on file to compare it to the unknown list. Do you remember back in the 90s when they told parents, like, put your kids' fingerprints on file in case ever, anything ever oh, happened? Oh, yeah, so that if anybody kidnaps yeah, you. Yeah, you remember mm -hmm. that? So they were doing that then. So he hadn't, so they didn't do anything on that. But, I mean, multiple experts have come along. And, like, I don't even have to be an expert to look at the picture and see, like, that's not a child's finger. Yeah. That's not a little bitty finger. That's, yeah. a, that's an adult's finger. So there's that. There's that mm -hmm. fingerprint that's just there that the prosecution just did a whole lot of shit with. It's just there. Doesn't well, match the, anyone in the house. And they never. Nope. And the police never ran it. No. And I'm sure it's not saved. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's saved. I'm not going to okay. say that. Maybe. So there's that. One of them left a fingerprint behind. Sorry, that just pisses me off. So anyways, I just feel like that in and of itself should be like reasonable doubt. No. So we're done. We're done. Mm -hmm. no, nobody goes to child because there's reasonable doubt because there's a fingerprint from a stranger in blood. So like obviously the person's hand was bloody when they touched it. Okay. So anyway, sorry. Sorry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. <laughs> okay. Not, are, are you sure? I don't know. This one just pisses me off. So now we're going to get into the 911 call. So uh, we're going to talk about this point with the fingerprint on the knives. 
So at one point in the call, she talks about potential friend of friends that could have gotten on the night. Um, so as I had mentioned before, the dispatcher didn't know that Waddell had entered the scene. Um, okay. And so when, and you can hear this, I, I can send you the actual transcripts if you want to read it. Um, you can also find them. Uh, there's a website called um, darlyfacts.com, which has all of the information on there. Um, it's a great place if you want to see like photos, evidence, all that stuff. It's where I found the trans, uh, the transcripts, where I found the audio. Um, it's clear that she is indicating to Waddell that there was a knife on the floor. She was not talking to the dispatcher. And the dispatcher immediately like hears this and says, no, 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 don't touch the knife. And Darlie says, I already touched it. And the dispatcher's like, it's okay, it's okay, just don't touch it, leave everything alone, don't touch anything. Communicating to her what you and I know, which is everything is a yeah. clue, don't touch anything, everything's a yeah. clue. Later on in the phone call, she mentions again that uh, she touched the knife and pick it up. And that is when she said, we could have gotten prints maybe. It was the second mm -hmm. time. And it wasn't, she had, her brain had already had minutes to process, oh shit, I shouldn't have touched that knife because the dispatcher reacted to her, reacting to Waddell saying that there was a knife mm -hmm. on the floor, but I picked it up. So she didn't even have this thought in her head at all to begin with. It was put there by a professional making clear to her, do not touch or disrupt the crime scene as much as you are able to, you know, like keep your hands off if yeah. you can. But it is interesting, right? That she asked, we could have gotten prints, not like, like she wasn't concerned about her prints being on the knife. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't her concern. Her thought was like, we could have yeah, gotten prints. Yeah, because like, oh, we could have gotten prints. Like why would she even bring up if she was faking a yeah, staging she... incident she would have she wouldn't have said if, anything yeah, if you were gonna... she would have been like yeah i touched the knife i touched the knife that's why my fingerprints are on it because i touched the knife yeah, my exactly. fingerprints are going to be there and and of course her fingerprints are going to be there if the like if the intruders and i'm saying if just because but um but if the intruders came in and like some intruders do actually break in and use household items mm -hmm. for their attacks. This is not like a brand new idea. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, she wouldn't have been stressed or if she was trying to set it up, she, she would have been the one right to bring up that her fingerprints were on the knife. Oh yeah. So like, of course her fingerprints are going to be on the knife no matter what, because it's her knife, right? It's in her house. Right. That so, doesn't mean that she did it. It just means that it's her knife. So why is her question, we could have gotten prints? To me, that to me, that's not an indication of guilt. That means nothing. No, it means nothing. No. It means nothing. No. I agree. So, But no. the prosecution is, that's part of their testimony, is like, see, look, she's so concerned about fingerprints on a knife. She's not concerned about her own children. Yeah, she's concerned about the fingerprints on the knife because she's trying to get fucking whoever did it. Justice for her children. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to go to the point of entry. I'm going to say, look at the map again, just so you have your bearings on where we're talking yeah, about. I'm, I'm on the map. Okay. So the point of entry was that screen window on the left side of the garage. So yes, you see on that left side of the garage, there's that little window there. There's two little black boxes. In the middle is a window. Mm -hmm. And that's the window they mm -hmm. allegedly cut through 
to come into the house. Okay. So the prosecution claims that she cut through the window with a uh, knife from the uh, butcher block in their house and that mm -hmm. there was no way an intruder came in or outside of that window because the mulch underneath the window and the flower bed underneath the window weren't disturbed. Additionally, the dust on the sill, like the window sill was not disturbed. So no one came in and out of okay. that window. Okay, now I want you to click on the link that says the window. Oh, I already did with the chairs down. Where's where's the mulch, Chelsea? Where's the flower bed? Oh, it's not underneath the damn window. It's, it's over like seven side. feet away. With a very clear path leading to probably their driveway, their entryway, something like that. What idiot would run well, through side the note. flower bed? But also, side note, if you do have a garage that is attached to your home, please lock the doors between the garage Yes, and girl. Home. Say it louder for the people in the back. Please do. Like, Jesus that's a Christ. real fucking thing. It is real. It is. Lock those damn doors. I'm not kidding. We have a detached garage now. Like, when we lived in Hawaii, we didn't. It, you could just, like, literally walk into our home. Like, this, you know, And you probably made sure that door was always garage. locked. Um, mm -mm. uh... God I damn it, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you live on a military base. It's a little different. It's a little different. It, it, yeah, but, it, you know, crimes happen on military bases. Um, but now we have a detached. And my husband's like, you have to lock the door that leads into the garage. Yeah. Because, like, there's, like, a side door that leads into the garage. <laughs> but it doesn't, like, you can't get into our house from it. And I'm like... No, you don't. They're it's gonna, fine. They're, like, you can't enter a house. No one cares. It's fine. They're going to steal yeah. all of the baby toys. They're going to steal the little plastic truck, the plastic basketball Oh, hoop. heaven forbid. <laughs> the plastic truck, the plastic car gets stolen. Oh, my Lord. How will I recover? <laughs> I don't care. Take it. Uh, so, okay. So, all of this, I mean, this is just bullshit. You're, are you kidding me, dude? Are you kidding me, dude? Like, yeah. I saw an interview of him saying, like, yeah. the mulch wasn't disturbed. Of course it wasn't fucking disturbed. Who's going to run through a flower bed don't... when there's a perfectly fine path ahead of you? Like, Yeah, and you don't have to disturb it to get into the window. And, again, there is a video uh, interview with the husband literally demonstrating just that. He goes in and he goes out and he doesn't touch the sill. It proves nothing. That the the dust. It's a, it's a huge window. Huge. It's a, yeah. It's, a, it's huge. And it's ground floor. Like the bottom of it is ground floor. Yeah. You don't have to go down or up or anything like that. You can just walk in and walk out. Um. Now I will say that there were fibers found on the knife that matched the fibers on the screen, but we're gonna get to that mm -hmm. in a minute. We're gonna get to that later. One thing at a time. This is like the Dyatlov pass all over again. Jesus Christ. Okay. So then we're going to go into the sink. So the prosecution claims because they found in the sink water and blood. They claim okay. that Darlie cut her throat while standing at the sink and then attempted to clean it up. This doesn't make sense. A. Do they test the blood? Yeah, it's her blood. Well, hold on. Okay. Hold okay. On. Sorry. There was blood all around the sink, like, like literally like around the sink down the front of the sink. You can see pictures of this. There's blood everywhere. 
So if she was trying to clean it up, she did a shit job. Um, but it is consistent to the idea that Darlie was getting rags and towels that were stored under the sink for Darren, who was asking for them for their children. Okay. Two sponges were collected as evidence from the sink area, and there was no blood found on either one. That's B. C, there were okay. cleaning supplies also kept under sink under the sink with the rags and the towels that were stored there that Darlie was getting allegedly to help her husband with the children. Um, and there was no blood found on any of those. So essentially you're saying that Darlie cuts her throat, attempts to clean the sink with water and her hands. And that explains why there's water in the sink. It definitely wasn't her getting rags or towels wet to try to clean her children or, or, sop up blood or god knows what it was definitely her using mm -hmm. her hands to just wipe the sink out with her blood that totally makes sense totally but why makes. would she oh okay anyways continue okay um and also if she did cut her throat the the way it cut is it kind of goes patty quarter down her neck and then kind of down in between her boobs a little bit um there would be splatter there was no splatter that lined up with her inflicting those kinds of wounds on herself, not to mention the stab wound in her forearm that would have produced mm -hmm. some splatter of blood. It wasn't. The splatter that was on the sink was indicative of a woman bleeding out from her neck, leaning over the sink, trying to get towels and wet towels to help the frantic scene that she was dealing with. So I'm gonna quote Stephen again. Darlie and Darren both have been accused of falsifying their testimony that Darlie was at the sink wetting towels to help stop bleeding. Yet there were towels collected as evidence, and towels are also visit visible in the crime scene photos. Darren was too busy trying to resuscitate Devin, so he's not the one who got them out. So where did they come from? Were they what? Yeah. Not all of them, some of them. Okay. So who did that? Darlie, right? It had I to be. Know. I know, right? It, it was either the magic towel fairy or it was Darlie trying to help. Okay. And then I'm just going to throw a quick disclaimer. There's a picture floating around on the internet of like this uh, sink that's filled with luminol. That is not their sink. So if you see that picture, that is not a uh, sink from their house. That uh, luminol was not used in uh, the... Uh, or there were no photos of the sink after the luminol was applied. So I'm just, that's just a okay. disclaimer out there needs to be said. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the broken glass. Um, so you remember how she heard broken, broken glass. She says that she hears mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. um, so there was broken glass present at the scene, but it was found on top of Darlie's footprints. So this was all the evidence that the prosecution needed to say that she had cut herself, stabbed the boys, and then broke the glass as part of her staging. However, when you look at the scenes and the photographs from the night of the, from the event, it makes more sense that one of the intruders rounded a corner and walked right into the wine glass. And I believe in the maps, you can see where the wine rack is, where these glasses were 
being held, causing the glass to break on impact because there is a chunk of it still in the holder that you can see. It's one of the crime scene photos. You can see the chunk of glass still remains in the holder where the broken glass had been. Additionally, well, why would she break her own wine glass like that? Like, and why would she break it and leave a piece still in the holder? Like it's one of those like upside down ones. You know what I mean? Where like they hang. I didn't send you that link. I can. Um... Okay. No, that's fine. But my thing is like, why is she like to me? If I was on a stage or anything, I wouldn't. We should like, break a random breaking... glass. I wouldn't be breaking random glass. I'd be breaking like the window or a vase or a lamp or a it, yeah not a wine glass a random glass from the kitchen i'm sure you're gonna get into this but did they go into the family's path like history and like possible enemies or yeah we'll get into it okay um because that's where my head is going at this point i know it's hard to hear this and not be like this woman didn't fucking do anything uh she had her babies murdered and she was attacked. Anyways, so there was also another situation with, there was a vacuum cleaner that was laying on its side in the main living space that had drops of Darlene's blood on it, but also it, it was clear that it had been wheeled through wet blood. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh, look, she put the vacuum there to make it look like there was a struggle. And I'm going to quote Steven again, because I just couldn't think of a better way to say it. Here's the problem with that theory. The process of taking photographs and collecting evidence didn't begin until later that morning. With so many people frantically coming in, ambulances, EMS, police, any mm -hmm. one of them could have easily kicked glass from where it was without even realizing it over to somewhere else. So like it could have ended up on top of one of her bloody footprints, whereas it wasn't there to begin with. Because at that point, you are just trying to preserve life. No one's thinking about preserving a crime scene. You are trying to preserve life. Yeah. That's the priority is like save these children and save this woman who are like dying. There's no way to say who moved the vacuum cleaner, but it seems like it makes way more sense that somehow it was in somebody's way and somebody moved it out of the way to try and get to a victim to try and help them. And that's how it ended up where it ended up. And the evidence that there is to help verify that is both Officer Waddell, who was the first one on the scene, and then Matt Whaling, who was the one dispatched to the scene, um, both asked if they saw the vacuum lying in the middle of the floor, and both said that they had not seen it, implying that, again, in the chaos, it was moved. Okay. And then the very last thing was, oh, no, there's two more things, but this is kind of like the initial last thing, is that there was the boy's blood on the back of her nightshirt. The prosecution claims this was because she was flinging the knife over her head while stabbing the children, and that's how the splatter got back there. But when you actually see, and you can see again, you can see this in photos, and if you look at this particular article, you can see the photos, um, which I'll link to this article in the episode. Um, the amount of Damon's blood was literally a pinprick. Mm -hmm. And the other little spot of blood, which was about maybe a centimeter long, half a centimeter wide, was a mixture of her blood and Devin's blood. But also, if you're stabbing somebody, like, so you stab someone, right? And you bring it up over yeah. you, wouldn't the blood splatter go in front? No. 
like because you're bringing it up so fast, or or on the or on the ceiling, the ceiling not on the roof behind you. Yeah, not on the back of your nightgown. Not unless you're like night bringing shirt. the night all the way back to like right. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. And I'm not a blood like splatter literally expert like your shoulder and, blades. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a blood splatter expert, so I could be a hundred percent wrong. But like to me, there it's were like, plenty of blood splatter experts who testified. Okay, we'll okay, get to okay, that okay, in the second okay. half. But there were plenty of blood splatter experts that were like, no, bitch. Like, no, that's not what happened. Okay. So I am. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That very, that agree with you. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So then the very last piece of evidence that everyone's like, oh, see, she did it. Was that 75 yards away from the house. A yard is three feet. That's about like a meter and change. Um, yeah. Um, there was a sock mm-hmm. found. Okay. So, you know, the drainage things, like the little drainage holes that run along with the curb and they're like, it's like the one that it popped up through, like yeah. one of those kind of mm-hmm. drainage holes. It was right above a drainage hole. Okay. Devin's injuries, an expert tells us it would have been about nine minutes for him to bleed out. And the uh, call to police was about six minutes. So again, like, She's got three minutes to bolt through the yard and like throw this sock 75 feet or uh, yards away in this drain. <coughs> That's more likely. Or again, based off Dyatlov Pass, Olcom's razor, the least, like the most likely reality is true. Somebody like tried to chuck it down a drain and they missed as they were fleeing the scene. But, like, also she's now putting herself at risk of being seen because she's going to be covered in blood, right? And And her neighbor is up at night. Yeah. So he would have been awake at that time. wouldn't there be a blood trail? And, right, additionally, yes, so there's that. And on top of all of that, it's like in, um, you know how, like, in suburbs there's, like, sometimes, like, alleyways that Mm -hmm. go behind houses where, like, the trash is and, like, stuff like Mm -hmm. that, but it's not the front. That's where it was, is in behind one of these little alleyways. So, like, any number of neighbors that were just happened to be awake at that time could have seen her. Again, like you said, running through the streets with a bloody nightgown. But, like, also, or night is shirt. there a bloody, like, wouldn't there be blood in no, the splatter nope. somewhere? Yep. Right. A trail of her, because she's cut herself she cut herself. nearly her, her artery. Okay. Yeah. And so now she's bleeding out and there's no blood. So, nonsense. Okay. Okay, so that's the evidence that we have for episode one. And the next thing that we're going to get into is stuff with the trial. Okay. So I'm going to say, come back to hear the rest of the information um, in our next episode, which will actually be two episodes because we're dropping a special Christmas episode. I mean, but we can also. But after that, and we're going to talk about stuff that came up in trial and how the trial went and everything that's going on from then. Um, And I hope that at this point in the story, you guys are starting to have some very serious questions about this woman's guilt, because um, I do believe that she's innocent. And hopefully the next half of this episode will help solidate that in your mind and we can free Darlie. Um, and let her live the rest of her life in peace. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't think we're going to do weekly wins because we are going to still record this because Chelsea and I both have limited time about when we can record. Um, and so our weekly wins are going to come out in like three weeks. Um, but I guess super short weekly win is I'm grateful for all of you listeners. Yeah, of course. Keep listening. Like, subscribe. Do y'all thing. And, and research yeah, this topic um, and let us know what you think. The, not topic. Come Google. Jesus. Yeah, go. Research this crime and let us know what you think. Let us know. Yeah. At this go point. Go to darlyfacts.com. Look at the pictures. Yeah. At this point, what do you think of yeah. Wait. I don't know. You, I mean, there's, yeah, like you are definitely getting the evidence. Is there reasonable doubt? Yes, there is reasonable doubt. There's Which reasonable is enough doubt. to not convict someone, right? In theory. Yeah, you're right, theoretically. So, yeah. yeah. All right, y'all. All right, you guys. Well, we'll see you come next back. Week. We'll see you guys next week. And come back for the rest of this case because um, it's an important one and she's got another trial coming up and I feel like she needs as many people behind her as she can get. All right, everyone. Stay safe out there. Bye.